1: Welcome back and we are going on an adventure today. We will be reviewing the Adrian Tchaikovsky books, Children of Time and Children of Ruin. We're going to be doing a review of both of them kind of in tandem and we'll start off with a non-spoiler review first for those who haven't had a chance to read it and kind of go over the major themes, what kind of book it is and um, what we really liked about it and what you can expect. We have Ryan with us here, and I'm Jake, and we are two of the five Hi, members Jake. Of... <laughs> hey Ryan. <laughs> we are two of the five members of Fantology. Make sure to like and follow us on Twitter and Instagram and join our discord uh, for more conversations. but uh, yeah, let's get into it. So, children of time, children of ruin, how did you like it overall, Ryan?
0: I liked it quite a bit. I, I don't, I think at Phantology in general, we are a bit more biased towards fantasy content more than science fiction content. Not that that necessarily applies to you, Jake, because I think you are you're pretty even split. I, I think that you have a good interest in both of them. And maybe I'm slightly more biased towards fantasy than you, but I do like good science fiction novel when it comes along. So, when you were saying you were reading these uh, science fiction books, wanted to review them. I was like, I haven't read a good science fiction book in a while, so that was my hope when I picked up these books. And boy, oh boy, I thought they were really well written and um, super, super good to follow, super interesting. Uh, I'm somebody with a bit of science in my background. My my biology under or my undergraduate degree in college was physiology and developmental biology and I currently work in a job that deals a lot in molecular biology so this was pretty interesting to read I loved the science part of it parts of it which this is pretty hard science book as we were talking about this a few minutes before we started this this book is on the hard hard sci-fi end of the spectrum rather than opposed to the soft sci-fi and I love the aspects of it that pertain to science I love this the pseudoscience that Adrian Tchaikovsky uses in this that you read it and it's it, it's like reading Michael Crichton's Jurassic Park where they yeah. they talk about the science in such a way where you, you you think this could be real science. Well, why couldn't we do this in real life? They're so convincing <laughs> with their arguments.
1: Yeah, you're like, wait, why haven't they made genetically engineered spiders or dinosaurs? Have we not cloned dinosaurs already? I've seen Jurassic Park. I read the book. I I know the science.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, who cares what happens in the movies? We need a park where we can visit dinosaurs.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm glad you read it too. Speaking of our our fantasy versus science fiction, I still think I'm my science fiction is very much underrepresented in general in what I read. And part of it is because I think most of the, the current writing authors that I like are in fantasy. I don't really have a good grasp of who is currently writing science fiction right now compared to fantasy. That being said, I think I'm one of the more vocally science fiction minded out of us and in our mm-hmm. discord and stuff. So that may make me seem a little more even-handed but I'm still woefully uninformed to all things sci-fi
0: and but, Adrian Tchaikovsky he's not solely a science fiction author he writes fantasy yeah. maybe, maybe some horror I'm I'm not sure uh, he has These are the, the first, uh, first books I've written by him
1: they're the only books I've read by him as well but he has the shadows of apt series which I know is a fantasy series but yeah I haven't read those and I know he's planning on writing a I think another sci-fi trilogy but it being more along the Style of like a space opera, kind of like Star Wars or something like that. Not as hard sci-fi as this. Okay, but I'm glad you brought up your your science and biology background because I remember when I recommended this to you, I was like, man, I really hope he likes it, and I hope the science like stands up enough because it felt like in line with what your interests and your background is. So, hoping in this review we can get a like a further view inside your mind and how how that all added up.
0: Yeah, I mean. I do want to add a caveat to that. I, uh, Being an undergraduate, I think before I had an undergraduate degree, I, I felt like people with an undergraduate in college are like, oh, they're an expert in that subject. Yeah. And now I work with mainly PhDs, and so I feel pretty stupid <laughs> at most of my job. And I'm sure if any of them read this book, they would say, oh, this clearly wouldn't work because of the RNA isn't going to yeah. translate well into the to the host DNA, whatever. And, um, so I'm sure there's going to be some of our listeners who are much more knowledgeable in science than you or I, and (laughs) science won't check out for them.
1: Yeah. For those who have read the books and are listening and are very experienced with microbiology and molecular biology and all that stuff, let us know the reasons why we haven't invented or created uplifted a, uh, yeah quartiered race at this point um that kind of transitions into i guess the the main hook i guess you'd say of the book is for for both books are very similar and what they deal with and they are direct sequels to each other the premise is there is a terraforming mission that kind of goes wrong and humans had created a virus known as an uplift virus meant to help a non-sentient species evolve into a sentient species. And there's someone who designed that for some primates on this planet. She was terraforming, but something goes wrong. And primates die, but the virus finds host inside some portia spiders. I think I always said Portia, but I think they say Portia in the books. But well, think of it like the they, small jumping spiders, right?
0: Yeah. So they call the the spider who represents the portia species they call her portia so oh, right, i don't right. i don't know if i don't know the scientific term of yes. of what's its spider. genus
1: and its uh species is that what it is i don't know
0: <laughs> yeah i i'm not sure <laughs> let's just call them the the Portiids.
1: yeah the Portiids. that's how they're referred to later on but so the book follows the evolution of these spiders as they kind of build a civilization um and also there is a half of the story is a old an old human colony vessel that's been sent out after earth has passed its time of habitability and they're trying to find a new home so that's the basic premise is that is that you you have anything else to add you onto that ryan
0: yeah just that the humans who are attempting this uplift virus, it's really upset a portion of humanity, a very conservative that thinks that humans are playing God. And because of that, it sets off a catastrophe which decimates technology and sends humanity back very far. And as far as their technological progression goes. And so the humans that we follow in this ship are significantly less technologic, less technologically advanced as the humans who are attempting this uplift virus.
1: Yeah, so that it makes it really distinct. the The humans you're following their viewpoint and their journey is very distinct to the the older slash newer technology that, that you see um, amongst the the uplifted beings. Yeah, yeah. So continuing. We don't really want to delve into spoilers here, but um, I'd say.
0: What would you say, like, out of 10? What's your rating?
1: Out of 10, I'd probably probably get like a 9 out of 10 for the first book. The second book, maybe more of an 8 out of 10. There's things I like about Children of Ruin more than Children of Time, but I don't know if it's just, you know, the first book brings, is the first one to bring these ideas and it's the first one to really do it, whereas the second book does feel kind of like a retreading of children of time but i still really like children of ruin and it has different aspects to it that i feel make it better but also not as compelling as the first one if that makes sense
0: yeah still really good
1: really high rankings
0: i agree i think with this with your uh, observation that children of time they're both good books i enjoy children of time a bit more than children of ruin so i'd probably give children of time an 8.5 and children of ruin um, uh, an eight, I think. Pretty and close, yeah. I think they're well-written science fiction books. And if you're a fan of the genre, then these are books you should add to your to be read list for, for certain. Sure.
1: Yeah. I think the, like some of the biggest strengths of it are the writing itself is, is very well done. It makes even the smallest scenes seem really compelling and interesting and engaging. And the way the science is written again, Ryan compared it to kind of like a Crichton novel where the science feels very realistic. It it doesn't seem fantastical, but it doesn't dive. It doesn't get too muddled. And with the science, I feel like it's for someone who hasn't really experienced with the subject matter, it does a good job explaining it to you in a way that doesn't get you bored, but engages you more and makes you think like, OK, what are the possibilities going forward here? That being said, I'd say the focus is more because it is more of a hard science fiction book. The focus is more on this kind of what if idea, what if this happened, this uplift virus found a home in the spiders as opposed to a more character driven story. Not to say this, the characters are bad in any means. I thought the characters are great, but if they, the focus of the book isn't following one character's character arc throughout. It's more about seeing how a society develops and seeing to what lengths humans would go to continue their species.
0: Yeah, definitely. The The, the character arcs are there, but they're much more minor than you would see in especially a, uh, an epic fantasy novel. Yeah. So I think that when you read this book, you need to read it going in knowing that you're not going to get too attached to any one character, but you're going to get pretty attached to the story overall and pretty invested. It was a page turner.
1: Yeah, that's how I felt as well. So I was introduced to it via my wife. We started this tradition where we get each other a book every Christmas Eve. And this is one she got for me and she doesn't really read much fantasy or science fiction. So I don't know how she found it, but I'm so thankful because I just loved it. I read it in like two days, like that Christmas break, I got it. And just like every moment I had that we weren't doing something with family, I was just reading it. It was really, like you said, a page turner.
0: Although to your wife's credit, she has read the stormlight archive.
1: She's read one through three. She hasn't started book four yet. She's, she started her master's program before Book Four came out, and it's.
0: Well, that's something I've tried to get my wife to do, and she has refused. I think she she read a few pages of the prologue of Way of Kings and said, "This is way too confusing. I have no idea what's going on," and just left it at that.
1: She read Mistborn, though.
0: She read Mistborn and she liked it, and she started Mistborn too, and just stopped.
1: <laughs> kind of understandable. I've been trying to get Emily to read. Um the first Misborn as well, but it hasn't, hasn't stuck yet. Yeah. Um, kind of hitting back to how we rated it. I don't want you guys to think at all that if you like to just read the first one and not read children of ruin as well, the first one's called children of time. The Second is children of ruin children of ruin is just still really good. And I recommend reading both of them together.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: I guess what else can we expect? What else can you expect if you haven't read this book? There's heavy themes on like the ethics of the science that is used themes of sexism and how that plays in different societies and civilizations. Um, Big theme of evolution. What else would you say, Ryan?
0: I would say that the hubris of mankind or species in general plays into it as well. I think that Avrana Kern is a good representation of that and, We'll probably go into that a little bit
1: later yeah that's a really good uh good theme as well so i guess the the cons i would say for it um are we kind of covered the the characters like there's not as there's not a huge character arc to follow of one person um but i honestly i don't think there's many many cons to it i i think the series ending overall was different than what i expected in a way that i was disappointed at first but i like it now um but i don't think it was bad at all um
0: well, one of the one of the things you cautioned me about before i was was very far into the book you said that some people found the frequent changes in perspective oh. and time jarring to, to yeah. read that wasn't the case for me i thought that the book was fast paced enough that and the writing was good enough that I was pretty well oriented when, within a, a few pages of or lines of a, a change in perspective. Mm-hmm. So I didn't think it was really a con for me. But other people might find that the, just the change in perspective, the change in time, just jarring.
1: Yeah, and I think that's a bigger aspect of the first book, Children of Time, and it is children yeah. of ruin like it still does happen a little bit in children of ruin but it isn't as prevalent and i think um that's kind of going in line with the title of children of time it's really showing i, I think there's there's lots of ways to interpret that and we might go into that more in the full spoiler episode but the book itself spans i don't know exactly i feel like it was like ten thousand years <laughs> it spans a long time period um I think-
0: so I think it's probably two to three
1: thousand years. Two to three thousand. <laughs> yeah. So expect expect those those viewpoint changes. You know, these are many multiple lifetimes that the book spans. But I think the way it's structured for me, and it sounds like for you as well, Ryan, it was done in a way that it was still compelling, and I was really interested. I was really invested in the characters, but the society as a whole, and just the overall, like what is the character arc for this human race? What's the character arc for the Fortier race, the spiders and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else you want to hit on before we wrap up this non-spoiler episode? No, let's get going. Cool. Well, hello again, and welcome back to Fantology. We are still going on an adventure, continuing our review of Adrian Tchaikovsky's Children of Time and Children of Bruin duology couplet. What would you call that?
0: I think a duology. duology. I, I don't know if he's planning on writing more in this world.
1: I don't think so. The way it ended seemed pretty, it seemed pretty final in, in the ending. Okay.
0: Then I would yeah. call it a duology.
1: Duology. Yeah. So if you're listening to this episode, hopefully you guys have read the books because we're going to dive deep into spoilers, talk about all the things we liked, um, disliked, and explore those themes. We talked a lot about um, the basic themes and ideas in the non-spoiler episode of this episode we want to dive into uh, more of the specific uh, specifics of that so let's start um so ryan thoughts on the series you read these pretty pretty closely back to back right
0: yeah I, i think i read both of them within the a period of a week or two weeks so great science fiction series Read it 100% if you're into the genre, especially if you're a fan of hard sci-fi. Also, if you have a science background, I think fans of Michael Crichton should read this book, books, both of these books for sure. The first book in my mind was a little bit better than the second book, but that's not taking away at all from the second book. I think that both are very enjoyable to read. And if you enjoy the first, you'll enjoy the second.
1: Yeah, 100% agree. I get definite Andromeda strain vibes. That's a, a from Michael Crichton with the whole uplift virus. And then the um, the, the those of we, I don't remember what they actually refer to. I think at the end, they call it like the, not the collective, but like the combiner or something like that. It made me the way they describe it at the end and like the utopia future, the way it ends with all the species they have the ants the the shrimp type species the octopus. the shrimp type species yeah they mentioned so they mentioned at one point that there is on the the spider planet there's an underwater species that they trade with oh they're like i can't remember what they call them but i looked it up and it means like a shrimp like instead of a portia or cephalopod it's a i don't know maybe we'll find that put it in post but um um, but at the end it mentions that there's a, like that they were able to uplift them as well and like they're part of the mission they mentioned like five or six species total including humans but anyways they mentioned that 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 virus they encounter in children of ruin that slime mold they call it like the combiner and it like travels with them in their brains and i guess diving right into spoilers that was one thing that i was a little disappointed with is the ending itself and how how it ended on such a hopeful note which was and which is why I think that it's completely concluded because I don't think it would have ended in such a like hopeful look at the future if there was room for more stories of conflict but I guess the reason why I was a little disappointed by that and in the previous episode of the non-spoiler I mentioned that it was something that kind of I wasn't like, expecting it to end so hopeful is because the second book, large portions of it feel so much like a horror story, like kind of like an alien vibe or invasions of the body snatchers or, or the thing. Definitely. Have you seen the thing? I um,
0: haven't. No.
1: It's about this spoilers for the thing. It's about this um, crew that are in our Antarctica investigating something and they come across this life form that can mimic other people. And so they're constantly trying to figure out who is the thing. mm. So it has like those vibes, you know, with the, the virus infecting people and then you're like, who can you trust? But that was yeah. like such a horror element. And then it, I, I was just couldn't, ex- I couldn't see it ending in a happy note. And it ends in such a happy note. That was kind of two ideas competing against each other.
0: I thought, I thought how they got to the ending, uh, how they resolved the threat of the slime mold, those of we, was a little bit weird how ultimately they end up reasoning with it yeah it was just it was just strange that this organism which can invade pretty much any other organism break down like un decode its brain store it in its archive and recreate the organism could then just be reasoned with saying hey if you guys continue this you're going to be all alone in the galaxy with nothing left to explore and yeah and then those ways like ah yeah, you're right. You know, we, we don't want to be alone. Let's, we'll we'll just we'll keep you guys the way you are, and we'll make it interesting for us. I thought that was a little bit cheesy. I don't. Yeah. I guess I don't know what I was expecting for the portoids or humans or the octopuses octopi to come up with some other some variant of the Uplift virus and then inject it into the slime mold. I don't know. who knows, yeah,
1: but it, it was it just, it felt a little, a little strange. rushed, right? Like it felt yeah. like, like, Oh, uh, we got to tie up, tie up all these loose ends. But I think the problem was it was such a big threat that if they didn't completely resolve it, then it was like, in my mind, it was either the book ends with the galaxy doomed or everything. Okay. You know, there's like not really a middle ground. And so I think I think it was still a good ending. Like, like we said, like we both rated it, I think like an eight out of ten. So really enjoyed Mm it. Yeah. Also going back to the the reasoning part, it's like it was such a naive intelligence for most of the book. And so maybe it's I just felt like it was a leap for it to go from this naivety to understanding, oh yeah, if we take everything over, then there's no more adventure. Like yeah. I get that no, they're not being an adventure. It's a good reason for it not to take everything over, but would it really have understood that I kind of have a head that maybe Kern in that simulation at the end did like a doctor strange Dormammu thing or like what seemed like an infinite amount of time bargaining with it. But on the outside in real time, it was like a shorter amount of time. Yeah. And so maybe that like, I can justify it more if that happened.
0: But. Yeah. Could be, that's why I, I don't know. I, I did like. Uh, it, it is true when you think about it. It's a very naive organism. That's why it always says we are going on an adventure. That's how it expresses its intentions. All summed up into one sentence. It's, it's, it, but it's creepy when when yeah. you would read it in the book. You just hear people like say we're going on an adventure, and you're like, oh no, they've they've, yeah. they've been got.
1: Yeah, that was like chilling when, when the first guy who got infected said it, and then, and then after all that unfolds, and then the the captain was a ball teal He's flying back to Desra, and he's like, "Desra, you gotta like st- like, you gotta shut down this planet." Blah blah. blah. And then all, all of a sudden, he's like, "Cause we're going on an adventure," and yeah. you're just like, "Oh no!" Like I thought he escaped. That was really good. Play. Yeah,
0: yeah. You're like, wait, or Desra's Desra says, "Wait, why?" If, if we're supposed to keep it quarantine, why are you coming to me or something yeah. along those lines? And then the captain's like, because we're going on an adventure. And you're like, no, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, we're kind of starting at the ending. We should start at some of the, some of the themes that, yeah. that you wanted to talk about from children of time.
1: Um, I, yeah, I think um, and talking in like the preparation we're talking about. If you go over, I think we both really liked the theme of sexism. Um, in the book, especially with the Portia society.
0: Not that we like sexism. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: we, we like we, that the
1: men, the, the male Portias were put in their place. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, I I, just, I thought that it was interesting because in many spider species, the female spider will kill and eat the male after mating. So the female spiders are often bigger than the male spiders so when you uplift a species a spider species with this already in its evolutionary past that naturally nature comes with it in the sense that the female spiders are still much larger than the male spiders they are more dominant they have a more structured the society around them is is i guess structured they're in charge the males are just kind of there to dance for the females which yeah. is their their mating ritual and a lot of these a lot of these male spiders will end up being killed and as you see the spider society progress more and more you see more questions being asked about the roles of males and what are they capable of and you see some males who are actively going out and risking themselves to try and progress, uh, reach, reach more of a gender equality, which is, I think, a good, accurate reflection of our own society, of the gender roles that have been represented in the past until now. I, we're definitely not at a place where we can say that there is gender equality between uh, male and females for a variety of reasons and I, I, I guess it's interesting as a male um, reading from the perspective it's uh, it makes me ask more of the question of well how would I react if I were in if I were in this uh, Fabian- depressed, yeah, or Fabian, if I were in a suppressed yeah. gender role, how how would I try and enact change? How frustrated would I be? And yeah. I, I thought that Tchaikovsky did a good job of showing this society, which is largely matriarchal. And I actually like matriarchal societies for that reason in books. One other one that comes to mind, I don't think you've read, is the Drow Society in in the Forgotten Realms.
1: Oh, no, of, I haven't. The Drist the books? Dragons.
0: Yeah, the Drist books. You see, mm-hmm. it's a matriarchal society. And so I, I love the, how the dynamics change as, yeah. as uh, you have females becoming the dominant gender and it, it makes you reflect more back on your own society.
1: Yeah, I think they do a really good job of, there's like such blatant cases of sexism. That it's like, oh, that seems so ridiculous. And then you can find things very analogous. And maybe not the blatant, the as blatant ones in our society today, but like 40 years ago, which, you know, isn't very long time, especially when it comes to children of time and children of ruin, you know, that's just a blip. But very like similar um, things being said, like, oh, women can't do that. They don't have the faculties, you know, like just mm-hmm. un, like unfounded, Uh, sexism for no other reason that it's just this you know prejudice and blind spot i think it's interesting that how well tchaikovsky does with making the the sentient spiders relatable but also super alien yeah Um, like the fact that they have that cannibalistic history in their species and how um, we were talking the other day about how they said like it's frowned upon, but sometimes the, the females would hunt the males. Still, is like, and it was like frowned upon, but murder, straight up murder, for the society wasn't really like <laughs> anything other than frowned upon in such a sexist way, too.
0: Yeah, I, I loved Fabian. There's one embodiment of him where he's super valuable to this female because he's just a very smart scientist. And he's always he's asking her, well, what if I was on the streets? You you wouldn't know because I wouldn't have been given the chance to have uh, to be intelligent, to show my worth. And yeah, the female spider just doesn't understand. She doesn't. She she says, "I've given you you have everything that you could ever want here. Why would why would you want more?" And Fabian's like, "Well, I I just want the betterment of." Of my gender i want i want those males who are capable of being good scientists who who are in fact hunted on the streets i want them to have a chance
1: mm-hmm. I, I think if i remember right he says something like one of the things he wanted different he's like everything he had he had to be given through her yeah he didn't he would not nothing was earned just because he was as valuable as he was it was because she saw his value so she got him, she gave him the things he had, as opposed to, you know, if there was true equality, then he wouldn't need to be given anything, you know, he could just work for his value and and obtain what, what he deserved. And I think that's a really good look at our society in all forms of marginalized groups. Yeah, I think you see this shared a lot, like, oh, why are you complaining? Like, you have this in life, you have that in life. when. Like that doesn't, that doesn't make up for the fact of how hard it is to obtain those things and how so much inequality there is. One thing I think is really cool with the gender dynamics again is something that helped the males find value in the beginning is the fact that the virus passes these understandings as they put them through mating and it, it had to come through the males, right? Like, it, like they passed their genetic material so once they learn something, they could pass that along to a female, which is a really cool science part to me, which is the fact that you could pass down knowledge genetically. But I think that kind of gave the male spiders a little in to like, like reinforcing their, their worth in a kind of begrudging way. Like I remember the part in Children of Time where, where they first pass understanding from one tribe of spiders to the other tribe of spiders, and like they brought the male along specifically for that, and how he was able to that iteration yeah. of Fabian was able to have worth. That might have been the first Fabian. I'm not sure.
0: Yeah, and that's that's ultimately how Fabian end up ends up getting leverage over females is because he yeah. has this this way of training ant colonies to work mm-hmm. in different ways and reprogramming them so quickly, which ends up giving the advantage to whoever is willing to be on his side, the advantage to whichever nest is willing to give him his own gender or his own family. He he kind of wants to be able to control his own family. As a side note though, I, I just love how these societies are thought out in unique ways. And because of this, this way that males pass on understanding, you want to, it, there, it leads to a lot of inbreeding where you have specific mm. groups of understanding want to keep them within within their family, and so you have a lot of inbreeding, which leads to like a greater uh, passing of knowledge, but it also lead, leads to more frail physical infirmities because of the lack yeah. of genetic diversity.
1: Continuing with the theme of sexism, I thought it was interesting that the, the human side, and it could be from being, you know more blind to the human uh weaknesses but i feel like the human side sexism wasn't as big of a thing it was more an egalitarian in its society that the humans on the gilgamesh um in general and i would have liked yeah. to see a little more commentary from the humans on the sexism in the uh spider society because in children of ruin at that point the humans and spiders have been together for a few generations at the very least and so they maybe I don't remember but like enough time for them to understand the spider society enough and to see those things and I would have liked to see a little more commentary on that from a human perspective but maybe it wouldn't have been necessary since we as the readers are already getting that without it being Mm -hmm. explicitly you ready move on to religion yeah I think one of the coolest aspects is kind of the, it wouldn't be called anthropology, I guess, but the anthropology of the spider society and how they went from basic like hunter-gatherers to establishing more of a society when they finally realized what the understandings, how they worked. And then you mentioned the ant colony. I liked how they tamed these ants and kind of turned them into a computer system. And mm-hmm. then at that point when they realize or when they recognized the um signal being sent from kern in space to what's like a crystal or something i don't know it was, but the ants they were, were like, like making, the ants were it.
0: making a satellite almost they were yeah they were put that putting themselves in some sort of formation with the top mouse holding a piece of metal yeah or mouse the top ant holding a piece of metal and they were receiving a signal from avrana kern
1: yeah and i liked how that turned that like completely changed the spider society up until that point they like hadn't thought at all about they didn't do anything that resembled religion from my point of view but as soon as they saw the ants do that and recognize what was happening the next viewpoint you get is everything is about the signal and like what does it mean and like how do you communicate with it and it was cool to see how that spurred more advancements in technology to better understand the signal but also spurred all these superstitions along with it so it kind of It's interesting take on how religion can sometimes advance society and technology in ways that otherwise wouldn't, but also kind of restrict it because it's within within these bounds of that superstition. Yeah. And
0: it asks an interesting question. I don't know if this was intentional by Tchaikovsky or not. And it's, it's something we see in our own society, which is as I think the more educated society becomes the less religious it becomes. And as you see that in the society of the spiders, where as they become more advanced technologically, they start to realize, well, maybe this isn't maybe this isn't a god that is communicating with us. Maybe it's something else. And at first these people are this, these spiders which believe this are ostracized and on the outs of society, but things progress to the point where with Fabian's help, they end up becoming the, this uh, less numerous nest ends up conquering this greater nest, which technically has the blessing of Avrana Kern, who claims she's God. And um, Avrana Kern eventually transforms herself when she more understands the spiders that she's communicating with. She admits in the end that she's not a god, and she becomes more of a mentor and artificial intelligence, which helps guide their progression in a more, uh, more as companions. Anyways, uh, I, I thought that it was just interesting how in in Children of Time, at least it it sort of asks the question that is religion. Just a byproduct of explaining the unexplainable, and it's definitely not anything that I mean. Some people think that they have the answer. I'm not so sure, um, but uh, it's something that hasn't really been explored in a fantasy book that I've read.
1: Yeah, I like how you said the how it kind of restricted knowledge, and I don't think that's something inherent to religion. I think it's inherent to certain ways religion is interpreted, but I don't think. Like, I don't think being religious in and of itself makes it so people are less likely to learn. But I think that was kind of a reflection of a lot of how religion is interpreted in our society in there. Um, I liked how, like you said, Abrana Kerm is like this religious figure. And then she has to kind of recognize, I need to stop doing this for the, like, it'd be better for their society if, like, I came, like, kind of revealed myself a little more. Kind of uh, stepping into Children of Ruin with the, in a similar sense, I don't know. I like the comparison between Ronna Kern and the spiders and Desra Sinkovi and the octopuses, and how they like revered him, but their genetic engineering was a lot faster, right, than the the spiders. Like it was more intentional, and with him around. I don't know if it's just the difference between the species or how they came across him, since they kind of knew of him from the beginning, but he was like more of this like mythological figure that they never quite understood, but they knew they should respect. But also, I don't know, it was like a weird take on, I just assumed it would be like, Oh, they're going to worship him in the same way that the spiders worshiped Rana Kern. But I liked how it was different because it was a a different setup and everything.
0: Yeah. And, and it shows, I think the difference in, octopuses octopi I don't know what's the what's the right way to say that Jake
1: I think in the book they say that octopuses or octopods I think octopods is the correct way but octopuses octopods
0: is, that sounds good let's is, go with octopods
1: I, I think the book makes a point of saying octopi is wrong but it sounds better so they like use a a couple different terms in the book for that reason
0: yeah so um, anyways let's see if I can remember my point but the octopods they're neurological I mean, they're just different they they don't have the same genetic makeup of course and I guess maybe maybe it's more that their evolution is guided and much more present or Sankovy was much more pre- present during their evolution he wasn't he wasn't like some in some satellite in the sky giving them instructions. Yeah. And so maybe that was why it wasn't quite they didn't they didn't view him as a god, or maybe it was just because of how the octopods work, how they're made yeah. up.
1: Yeah, the, the octopod society was much more I don't know, really fluid, I guess is the way like it was was more about passion. I feel like Odium would have reigned well <laughs> <laughs> on Damascus. Um But it was much more like this is what I feel right now and then okay I'm not feeling that anymore and it was I thought that was kind of a cool way to to take. That's another thing about these books that is just so stellar is making these like hypothetical how would a civilization based on this type of species develop like with this type of culture ingrained genetically and how does that develop? I thought that was just so interesting the differences between the humans and the octopods and spiders. Mm -hmm. But going I think this is like a, a tangential theme along with religion is the hubris. You mentioned that in the, I don't know if you mentioned it in the last episode or just when we we're talking before. I see hubris in a lot of things and just the idea of we can go to these planets and terraform them. I saw hubris in Arana Kern deciding that she was going to uplift these monkeys when it was a dreadful way of this is like, yeah, my planet not na- not necessarily like not malicious at all but a little bit of pride there anyways those are just some uh moments of hubris
0: yeah i, I well i think i think you touched on most of the ones that i was thinking of with yeah verona kern she you can yeah. the first chapter of children of time you can just see with her from her perspective how she thinks of herself as just the smartest person to ever grace humankind and she knows what's best and everybody else is uh, almost gets in her way and and she's i think the pinnacle of human hubris and it blindsides her she thinks that no matter what it's going to go according to plan and then these these technological regressionists i don't remember what they're called but they yeah. end up launching the virus which screws everything up and leads to all of these all of humanity falling back millennia in in time and i really liked that it talks about a bit about this in children of time and then in children of ruin you actually see the result of one of these satellite colonies who terraform um on Mm -hmm. bald teal's crew where they're they're dependent on Uh, their technology and their computer systems and then they receive the virus and then everybody just dies pretty much except for those who were able to reset things on the actual planet i i think another case of pride in this story is the gilgamesh where they think that this planet kern's kern's world is their birthright they think that they're just going to kill the spiders and take it over at the end. And boy, are they wrong with the help of Kern. They are just totally dismantled. And that was one of my favorite parts of the book where the spiders, you're like, oh, no, they're killing everyone. They're releasing this gas, which is just killing everybody. And then at the end of the book, you realize that the spiders have just modified the virus to work against the humans who created it. And ultimately,
1: along, yeah.
0: And, and And, yeah, bringing like an understanding to them uh, co- like a cooperation from this mm-hmm. virus. I thought it was a really good way to end children of time uh, was
1: yeah,
0: was through the use of this virus. The humans used it at first unintentionally on the spiders. now the spiders use it intentionally on the humans to make them more willing cohabitants.
1: Yeah, that was a like an unexpected. And like a really cool unexpected ending. And Now that I think about it, it's pretty comparable to the end of um, children of ruin in terms of ending on such a positive note to where you think it's going to be this all out war or something. And then all of a sudden things are calmed, which is kind of similar to children of ruin. So maybe I shouldn't be as critical of the ending. Well, Learned I thought Ruiners.
0: it was, I don't know. I thought the children of time ending was a bit more, uh, more earned. reasonable yeah Yeah. or earned more reasonable it wasn't it was maybe it was the use of this virus in a hard sci-fi setting that yeah that won it over for me whereas with they didn't really do anything i guess it probably would have been kind of lame if they had just used the virus against the those of me in the second book as well um but i don't know i the the reasoning is just (laughs) How do you use human reasoning on just an alien?
1: That was a cool thing with the, with the, those of we, it was cool that every time they took over a new species or just a new person, they had like a completely different worldview. Like they be, they like evolved themselves because now Mm -hmm. they are, they've received all the information that that new species or that new person, that new individual has received. And they incorporate that into themselves. I don't know like they level up a little bit it's pretty yeah. cool i think the children of time like you said with the the gas and the virus was so so well done and it was a really cool like theme of i guess for i don't know for our society to overcome our struggles we need to evolve as a species not physically but just evolve with our thinking and, and our um priorities and things like that
0: yeah we're we're less human than spiders yeah <laughs>
1: Don't hunt our mates yet, but Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, yeah. What else? There's like obviously themes of evolution. We kind of talked about that and how that like figuratively, figuratively applies to society. I just thought that was a really cool aspect of watching everything evolve, like how the planet uh, ecology developed over time. And with the octopuses on Damascus, how it was cool to see uh, Desra's point of view of Watching the octopus is like, oh, now they're doing things with these tools I didn't tell them to do. And him trying to figure out are they like consciously deciding to do this or are they just mindlessly doing this and how they slowly mm-hmm. um, developed a society there?
0: Yeah, it, the spiders, the spiders, it, it was very interesting to see the difference in the spiders' evolution and the octopods' evolution. Uh, the spiders were. I think a bit different from humans in the sense that they didn't really destroy the planet so much as work with it. I think with the ants and I don't know, maybe what they would have gone to that point if they'd been left to progress, but Damascus is kind of is, is turned like the oceans are just filled with waste and uh, yeah. all of these like partially constructed things that are are constructed and then abandoned things that the, the the octopods use and so it, it's a very a real mirror i guess of human mm-hmm. society now where we are very wasteful uh, and not not as concerned as we should be with our surroundings i i guess
1: yeah i liked how they made that difference to where here's an example of the spiders of uh, a really good way to do this and then i liked how it wasn't just Humans are bad and every other like, species would be better. It was like very much, how would this species do it? And I think the fact that the octopuses, the octopods, developing underwater, they mentioned how hard it would be for a sentient civilization like the shrimp to, to develop underwater and everything because you don't really have access to fire and all these other things. The octopods were so dependent on human technology and they had so much human technology right from the get-go. From mm-hmm. the pre-catastrophe technology as well so that probably played into why they were had created so much more waste whereas the spiders maybe it's because they had like webbing you know a lot of their infrastructure was more organic and they could build that there themselves without needing to really harvest from their mm-hmm. um, ecology as much but yeah it was just cool to see the the similarities and differences me going into Children of Ruin I was like cool I'm ready to sit down and read basically the same thing as Children of Time but through the view of octopuses like I was down yeah. for that but I was so glad that they did it differently after reading I'm like oh this is like even more interesting which obviously you don't want to reread the same thing mm-hmm. but it was just interesting to have oh how would this be different and how do these little differences lead to big differences later on
0: Yeah it was uh- the one part that I really loved, the moment of realization, was when the uh, ported human ship is encountering the octopods for the first time. They don't know what they are. They just see these yeah. like these ships that seem like they're decelerating super slowly, like they have they're carrying a large amount of weight. And then I like it just realized like that's probably because they're full of water because they're octopods and that's how that's how you have to accelerate and decelerate very slowly when you just have so much weight or cargo and Mm -hmm. so that was that was a cool little cool little moment reading the book
1: yeah so many details were like were paid attention to i feel like when he was writing this and Mm -hmm. coming up with the ideas and like how would this work like he really did his research from my Non scientific background, it seemed like that. Um, I'd like to see, I'd like to hear some opinions from anthropologists or whoever it would be to see how, how much of a disadvantage would it be to, um, for starting a major civilization if you were underwater versus on land? Mm-hmm. How, how much of an impact would that have? Because it seems like, from the way I understand it, like we assume life originated in oceans, right? In the water. So that'd be the start of life, but it seems like that's like a cap for how far you can develop as a society.
0: Jake, I'm interested to hear what your thoughts are on the crew of the Gilgamesh from Children of Time.
1: I really, I was not a big fan of Holston, Mason Holston in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Not that I like didn't like him, but he just seemed kind of like, I'm trying to, (laughs) I think that the thought that came to mind when I was reading it, it was like some male protagonist from a british show and it's supposed to be that male everyman protagonist that generally generally to me comes off is just like this frumpy scrub of a man and i'm like not interested i'm not really relatable like too, <laughs> too 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 frumpy or too like disheveled but then as he went on like i really liked him i loved how like the whole storyline but for the first half of the book probably i was like let's get back to the spiders i gotta see where the spiders are going mm-hmm. but i really liked how as the Gilgamesh's story progressed, I was like, you can just tell how much, like, how much time wears on the Gilgamesh, how on the people, on the ship itself, and I loved watching Holsten yeah. and Lane and all of them like try. They're just like every time they wake up, they're just like, okay, how, what do we need to like patch up and jerry rig to keep this going? And like, they did, he did a really good job of portraying human civilization on the brink of extinction, just like. Mm-hmm. Well, how are they going to keep going?
0: It was interesting how with the spiders, you each time you switch back to them, it's like a little jump forward in evolution where you're following characters that have the same names, but they're descendants from like the characters that you were just reading, whether it's Portia or Viola or Fabian. They have similar personalities, similar roles, maybe but they're they're essentially different people and so you get this jump forward in society each each time you go back to the spiders and it's the same but different with um with with the humans with holston each time you switch back to him he's waking up from this cryogenic sleep and he's disoriented trying to figure out what's going on what has changed and but it's the same character and it's it, uh, the thing that I really like about Holson. I agree. I, I wasn't super, I didn't like him too much as a character at the beginning. And maybe yeah. I just got more attached to him as I read his story. And, and naturally you get more attached to characters as long as you like them. But he was a classicist, which meant, which meant that he was, his role was to study old earth technology. And yeah, and uh, decode it and but he he gets more and more jaded with this they he he just thinks we're we're just trying so hard to follow the this technological scaffold of humanity which which brought us to the brink of extinction was destroyed or earth and if we keep following it so closely we're going to destroy ourselves all over again And that's the conclusion that he comes to. And I think that you see it with the other members of the crew, with Guyan, who's trying to turn himself into an artificial intelligence like Avrana Kern so that he can have some sort of pseudo-immortality. And ultimately, it's the end of him. And with, I forget the name of, like, the head of security, who's ultimately, who's ultimately, like, we're just going to kill the spiders and take the planet. Like, it's not going to be that hard. We're just going to kill them. I think that's whereas um, Holston's like, I I don't, I don't think we should do this. And, but everybody else, even Lane is like, this is, this is what needs to be done. And I, I think it's interesting as Holston were, although his whole career is centered around, I guess, following humanity's folly. He's, he's trying to make a different path for, humankind and as a side note i did think his uh, romance with lane was was kind of interesting very uh different from your cliche romance where every time at first he's like like they just kind of hook up and he's like did that even happen like because they don't even she doesn't even talk about it later <laughs> and each time she's kind of like a little cold to him or like i guess um maybe not cold but like sarcastic and dry with him and then, like, they, each time, like, I think they get a little bit closer and a little bit closer. And then um, at the end, he learns that um, she, they, they, they made um, a baby together. I'm not going to say how, but they made a baby. And she, like, froze it. So it was, like, one of these embryos stored on the Gilgamesh. So now their genetic progeny is, he's, like, I guess more invested in um the the progression and and it keeps going where it starts to be that lane since she's the head engineer she needs to be awake longer than he does so she is aging much faster than he is and so it's interesting to see how time is um affecting their relationship
1: yeah i th- i think it's a really well like it's a very real relationship like you said it's not very traditional for most books you'd read like fiction books but i thought it was very well developed and natural and how it was how it um comes to be yeah i hadn't thought about that but it is kind of a turning point in his character when he realizes that they have a baby and like how he can focus on that you know i was thinking of have you seen um it crowd i haven't no who i envision for holston is the the white guy from it crowd i don't know his name (laughs) i've only seen like five episodes but that's who i envisioned just some like derpy frumpy looking guy but anyways i really liked him at the end and yeah that uh, the romance is really good the idea of a classicist is so interesting like i need to study this old technology because the old technology is like kind of more advanced than theirs but also that's like everything they're going to come in contact with is this old Mm -hmm. technology as well yeah i guess like Kind of coming towards the end. I know we spent a lot of time talking about this. Um, is there anything else you really wanted to talk about in terms of themes, or I feel like ethics as well was a big theme. Like, what are what is ethical when it comes to this bioengineering and terraforming? I thought that was a really cool theme that um, we kind of touched on, but we didn't explicitly say um, ethics of it. Is there anything else that you were you'd like to talk about?
0: I mean, as far as ethics go. It- the question is just because we can do something does it mean we should do it and we encounter that today with uh, editing human genomes for for any embryos or cloning Th- these are these are the ethical discussions of today and so uh, it's interesting how science brings about these questions that nobody in nobody would ever have asked and science just takes you in these unimaginable directions Uh, just because we can terraform doesn't mean we should spread our presence throughout the galaxy just because we can bestow greater intelligence on these creatures doesn't mean we should so these are these are very interesting questions and those are the things that you love reading is is authors ask you this question through a book and you try and figure it out <laughs> as you're reading
1: yeah i hadn't thought about this but kind of um in relation like a symbolism there in the the words of those of we like just because it would be an adventure should we like do that <laughs> you know what i mean like like they cuz they were their motivations were pretty innocent you know they they just were wanting to learn basically you know they wanted to absorb and mm-hmm. go on this adventure but is the like journey before destination yeah in a word <laughs> yeah i guess um did the narrative structure we kind of touched on this did that bother bother you at all i really liked it i thought it was compelling the, the fact that you'd get like bits of each timeline and you're trying to figure out like wait i know this happened how does how do we get from point a to point c like what happened at point b i really enjoyed that
0: yeah i i liked it too i think that that's a credit to the author i think it would be easy to do that poorly but mm-hmm. he he kind of gives you points along a timeline each point is a snapshot in yeah evolution of spider or the progress of the gilgamesh and so, as as you as you arrive at a new point, you're left trying to draw a line from your last point to the point you're at yeah. to figure out what happened. And he answers some of those questions for you. Um, but I thought he did a pretty good job of. I it was kind of a combination of showing and telling. You can't like show everything that has yeah. passed in a short. Uh, otherwise it would just take pages and pages
1: i heard that that was one of the main criticisms of i think children of ruin is that there's a lot of like info dumping exposition Mm -hmm. but i didn't i didn't get that feeling while i was reading it like it didn't it didn't feel like i was anything was being detracted from by that um i think this is more prevalent in children of ruin is you read up about desert syncopy's time period and then you flash to the Voyager visiting the octopus society. And you're like, wait, what happened in between these two huge time jumps to so get to where yeah. they are. And like, you're like, it's almost like you're eating the story from either end and then you get to the middle and then you get to the very end. And I mm-hmm. really liked how it was done. It made it, made it like really suspenseful and compelling and just attention grabbing general.
0: Um, actually that actually reminds me. I just watched the TV show Chernobyl and I need to watch that. It's, it's pretty good. I really enjoyed it. And it starts off at the the end, kind of, where or maybe more of the middle. It starts off right with the reactor exploding. And then mm-hmm. throughout the rest of the series, you're asking yourself, well, how did it happen? And the characters are asking themselves, how did this happen? And then at the end of the show, you go back to the beginning. I think that when this... It it's depends on the writing of the show or the writing of the book. But when it, it, it's very satisfying when this is when you can pull it off through good writing, being a good author. Um, and I think Tchaikovsky's able to pull it off here.
1: Yeah, it gives a, the readers an opportunity to try to like, it puts more of a mystery there than there initially is. And it helps like pull the readers in by allowing them the opportunity to try to figure it out along the way. Yeah. I guess uh, just to, to wrap things up on my end, I'd like to just mention a few of my favorite characters and favorite moments. I think top three characters have got to be Fabian. Was it Meshna, Meshner? I don't. Know, I listened to it, so I don't like all the characters' names. Could be yeah. pronouncing it wrong. But Fabian and many iterations. I think especially the Fabian and Children of Ruin is probably one of my favorites because we just get so much time with them. And then his buddy Meshner, I think it is, who they're working on that. Um, 48 human communication and then verona kern takes over his mind for a bit and then he gets uploaded like that that meshner and then probably verona kern as well like as as much as she's kind of this like antagonistic force through a lot of it even when she's on the good person side she's such a she's like it's so biting that like, it's hard to call her like a good person or a protagonist but I, just her character was so interesting and fun to to read more from She's
0: very interesting, especially she's the one who really pushes them to go to the those of we, Lant- Lanty. Yeah. Because she's trying to find out if there's something else like her in the universe. Yeah. And other, which is another yeah, prime moment. Yeah. But it's also a human moment for an artificial intelligence. So I think that Avrana Kern was definitely in my top three as well. Um, I think Holston was one of them. Sankovi.
1: Sankovi, he was yeah. I almost uh, I almost picked him for my number three, but I didn't want to go 100 percent from children of ruin. <laughs> he
0: he was just he was kind of funny where um the octopods figured out how to like they basically he had to restart the ship because they were getting <laughs> yeah. into everything. He's like, ah oh, crap, like nothing's going wrong. It's it's and and Voltio's yeah. like, what what the heck is happening? And he's like, Oh, I, I just need to restart the ship. Um,
1: yeah. Don't worry about it. I liked when his reaction when the octopuses or octopods first were like, Why are we here? Like what is our purpose? And he was like, Are they yeah. really asking what their purpose in life is? Something I'm a little disappointed with the series overall is I wish we'd have got a better personality from the octopods to really latch on to like there are iterations of Paul, I think, but I like, we don't have like,
0: it's not like you know. the spiders.
1: Yeah. It's not as, not as fleshed out as the spiders, but there's a lot more going on in the plot of children of ruins. It would have been hard to fit that in.
0: They were a bit harder for their society. was a bit more alien for me to understand where they have just these warring groups of thought. And then all of a sudden they pass some threshold and then they all just agree instantly. Yeah. And they're like, Oh yeah, you're right. We'll we'll do that.
1: Yeah, the factions of it like without intervention that I feel like that society is just doomed to die, right? And that I think that's what they were getting at in the book, just because there's no real cohesion um there. Like the the spiders aren't as like warm and like loving as like a human society could be. They're more kind of like just utilitarian with everything. But I feel like they viewed their society as a whole it's a more cohesive unit, whereas the octopuses were so, like, they're like the flashing colors of, <laughs> of an octopus. Um, mm-hmm. when, we, when they first met the octopods' ships, I thought it was when they were fighting each other. They realized, oh, they're fighting each other. I thought it must have been what, like the those of we from their planet had developed a civilization fighting the octopods. That's how I thought. And then, then you realize, no, they're just different octopod factions that yeah. are like switching sides constantly.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Probably my favorite moment from this series is well, I'll do a favorite moment from each book. Favorite moment from Children of Time is uh probably when they first create the society built around the Kern signal. I thought that was just so interesting to see that culture develop. And then from Children of Ruin, it's got to be the the mind melding stuff with Meshner. Either that or when they first encountered the those of weed that was so well done so creepy I don't know I really yeah. liked it
0: yeah i i th- for children of time I was going to pick uh the the spiders like the special op spiders like attacking yeah. the Gilgamesh and just kind of manhandling the humans spider handling the humans and then the the security chief you think he's dead and he's like it's going to be okay guys it's going to be okay like don't worry and you're like what the heck is happening yeah um because he was infected with the virus and so that that turn of events was was super fun to read and i i was going to say uh in children of ruin i was going to say the first time they encountered those of we or where they where they're trying to like help balt or not baltio the the, the guy who's infected first and they realize yeah. that like something's wrong because of how he's acting is just so creepy to, he's just like breaking all of his like bones and joints like because he's no longer being controlled by like a human that uh, that is motivated by pain or yeah and and then like slowly one by one they're all getting infected in different ways it's just a very creepy moment of the Mm -hmm. book that had you on the edge of your seat
1: i'd like to see both of these probably more children of ruin like adapted into a a visual medium i think it could be really really suspenseful Mm -hmm. um i just i didn't really i haven't read children of time in probably three years so this is or yeah children of time in three years which is why I didn't make this connection, but the the uplift virus and the, those of we virus are so similar. And he must have like pulled from that idea of an uplift virus and then making it sentient. Like how at the end, like you said, the security officer, like you think he's being like infected by basically what is the, those of we and mm-hmm. children of ruin. Right. Like that same idea. I hadn't made that connection, which is probably yeah. obvious to those who've read them <laughs> more back to back. But, I do not make the connection
0: either, Jake. Don't feel bad.
1: <laughs> cool. Well, um, I think that pretty much wraps up our episode on Adrian Tchaikovsky's Children of Time and Children of Ruin. Make sure to follow us on social media. we got links in the description below. Check out our other podcasts. We're going to probably do more science fiction moving forward. You've read uh, Hyperion, right, Brian? That might be a good...
0: It's been a few years. I don't remember it super well, but yes, I have read
1: We'll try to get more into science fiction, but we got tons of fantasy books on the our our catalog. So take a look at that. Join us on Discord. Give us your thoughts. Comment below what you thought about the review, what you thought about uh, the books, and join our Discord to continue the discussion there. So
0: guys, you should also read more Tchaikovsky.
1: Yeah, yeah, I really want to read Shadows of the Bat now.
0: All right, Jake, It's good to talk about it.
1: All right, see ya.